0: The Infinite Turtle, the, the waves for the ether fuzz roll on
1: forever. <laughs> this is death by dvd does masters of horror season 1 i am harry scott sullivan and with me he is a really big fan of wings it's alexander nash
0: the wing that's man. not even a joke i don't have any wings, wings jokes i told you before we the started the show joke you just said I'm a fan of Wings, which is going to be pretty evident. It's fine. After this whole episode, because it's going to be nothing but Wings talk. Do you remember when they did Big Sandwich on Wings?
1: No, I remember little to nothing about Wings
0: at How? all. Wow!
1: <laughs> I've not seen it, it for 35 years. Wings. I've not seen it
0: at all. Oh, my God. Look, if you wanted
1: me to make like a Renegade joke or some other beloved show of the late '80s, early '90s, I might have been your man, Sliders. Whoa, whoa, whoa!
0: What was Renegade ever
1: loved or beloved? I loved Renegade, so maybe that's where that comes from. He was a cop and good at his job, but he committed the ultimate sin and testified against other cops gone bad. Cops that tried to kill him, but got the woman he loved instead. Framed for murder, now he prowls the Badlands, an outlaw hunting outlaws, a bounty hunter, a renegade. Uh. Well, we do- oh. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, we didn't announce the episode. And on this episode, we have a a delight. This is the most fun we'll ever have on this show. It's it's laden with misogyny and Steven Weber. It's Dario Argento's Jennifer. But you bury the
0: lead. It's also written by Steven Weber. He wrote the teleplay. The teleplay. Why I have no idea. He had to have written it without a director in mind. I, I just don't see like him and Dario like collaborating on this.
1: The weirdest buddy comedy that no one ever expected is that Dario Argento and Steven Weber have been vacationing with each other since 1989 after a chance meeting in Sicily, and they take their families out every year, and they uh, hate women. Because Dario is what? Big Wings fan. Huge Wings fan. Nothing but a Wings fan. I have nothing but contempt for this fucking episode. (laughs) (laughs) I
0: I don't have contempt for it. I think it serves its purpose for what it is, because originally, a little history, let's get that out of the way. This is based on a story in the horror anthology comic from the 1960s called or the name of the comic was Creepy and it was called Jennifer and I can't remember who wrote it but Bernie Wrightson did the artwork so you know the artwork is like spot on Creepy 63 July
1: 1974 and it was written by Bruce Jones
0: Creepy was kind of like A Tales from the Crypt style but it was like more of a magazine form and still just like basically one big comic book horror anthology stories. Didn't have like a wraparound, you know, a crypt keeper type character or, you know, the, uh, the, the vault keeper, or any of that stuff, but it, it served its purpose. It was a part of that whole, uh, you know, the, the youth gone wild movement of the era of like, Oh God, you're poisoning our children out of this horror crap. Um, all part of that stuff and adapted into this, Formed by Steven Weber mysteriously, I guess it just a story that really meant something to him, and directed by Dario Argento. Well, you what you were just bringing
1: up is actually really important to one of our previous episodes that we discussed in *Dance of the Dead*. How in the story you've got this culture that is educated from comic books, which are the surviving relics of World War III, and the transition and trying and using something like that in this gives almost credence to the flow of the supposed nature of Masters of Horror that I I brought up on our very first episode here. I have this idea in my head that each episode installment is a reflection of the masterwork of this master. And in this case,
0: I, you know, don't see it. Okay. I, you will probably even agree with me on this statement because things have gotten kind of so bad, but... This episode, the second episode, or the other episode he did for season two, called "Pelts," and maybe "Sleepless," are the only thing that Dario Argento has done in the last thirty years of any value. I'm not like I'm not a huge fan of Jennifer. I, I didn't like think this was like the greatest episode, but I felt a little Dario in it. I felt some of his visual style in it, um, and I started seeing a lot of his like post '90s mistakes as well in this. But it's not, like, horrible. It's not Dracula 3D horrible. It's not the card player. Hor- it's not like uh, uh, Giallo or Do You Love Hitchcock? It's none of that shit. It's still, like, okay, but it's still not great. For somebody of his caliber, it is kind of shot like shit, flat, super flat. And a lot of weird, inappropriate comedy thrown in like a lot of comedy reaction shots and stuff, which I did not understand why they were in this at all. But I think it, for the most part, gets the job done of what it's supposed to be. And I think Dario is somewhat of the correct director to pick for something that is kind of so, such a sexually charged um, story about uh, God, beauty, uh, male. Patriarchy dominance and like kind of rape culture. There's a lot of different things there. That's the stuff that Dario kind of skipped, though. He didn't really get into the anatomy of the thing, and it's very, still kind of surface level, but still kind of gets the point across,
1: yeah. I, I just struggle with the idea of what story Dario was trying to tell with this interpretation. And all those things you just mentioned, it 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 is evident that there is a deeper meaning to the story. And what I see on screen, at the end of it, I just don't understand what the point was. And I, 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 knew, I know there has to be some message that he had aside from, I'd do this. I'd make it an ugly girl, do you want to fuck her? And that's the thing. We'd we do it. And I, I, that's all I see out of it. I really just <laughs> see...
0: Well, there's more... A lot of it has to do with kind of male impulse of like almost zombie-like attention to like sex uh, domination that she doesn't even have to have like her, her face could be all fucked up and I'm still like like uh, almost like a uh, misogynist rapist type character, like like deep animalistic. Well, I mean, let's let's things. go back to
1: even like the Greeks. I mean, it's like a siren story, but it just happens to be this hideously facially disfigured siren with a beautiful body. And as the episode starts, Steven Weber is a police officer who is on break, eating Chinese food with his partner while listening to weird pop music. Most uncomp situation going on. They're eating out of the fucking. Chinese containers parked under some weird and bridge. And the stakeout
0: is like under a bridge yes. or some shit just like out in the middle of nowhere. It's very
1: strange. It, it, it's There's this joke about, uh, there's a family guy joke about how South Park wrote episodes through porpoises picking random fucking balloons and it just seems, we're like, I don't know they're they're under a bridge and they're eating Chinese food and uh, and Steven Weber witnesses this guy that's going to kill this woman. He ends up killing the guy, which is the first part of the, the whole episode that pisses me off, that he's a cop and just shoots the fucking guy in the forehead. <laughs> doesn't go for disarming him. Doesn't shoot him in the leg. Doesn't shoot him in the arm. Just kills this guy. Well, it's an A
0: cab story. If you yeah. haven't figured that. <laughs>
1: He kills this guy, and he discovers the woman is disfigured. She's grossly ugly, but apparently has this sexually beautiful body, and everyone that finds her becomes obsessed with her, and that's the, the the gist of the story. But Argento interjects a lot of shit into it, where she has this hunger for flesh. She eats a child. She eats a cat. Spoilers. Sorry, I'll say that last. And it, it, she licks him. She seems to want to uh, do more than just fuck and she lures men in and ruins their life and then at the end of the story this is this is where I find a problem I don't see anything beyond that of like well no matter what women are going to ruin your life and I don't feel that that was entirely the intent, but I don't know. You know, I don't want to just come out of the gate and be like Dario Argento hates women, but I've made that joke many a time <laughs> before. You know, I don't think he likes them that much. And that services with the idea, though, for what is in my head is just this, not uh, objectification of women, but not seeing them any more than just a sex item. And I know that's imperative to the
0: story, but I think it's uh, yes, I think you're onto like something with that beat. That it has more to do with the male character and. Like he has the like this untamed sexuality he's finally come across. Um, so like the the ultimate fantasy of a woman who won't talk back and you can do anything to them. And when eventually she starts to act out, he can't tame her anymore. It's his impulses to kill her. And I think that's a a deeper interpretation of what it, the story's really trying to say of just like kind of male rape culture involved in this deeper and somewhat I, I the the supernatural if you even call it that that element of it this kind of beast woman that he's becomes obsessed with and all of these men become obsessed with over time that at first he like wants to help her and then it slowly morphs into this psychosexual relationship um as a lot of them do and i think it's kind of calling like both sides are somewhat guilty of it, which I wouldn't personally agree. Uh, but the what really bothered me is like the comedy bits, like the little comedy cuts and stuff. Like that. First of all, Dario, you don't do comedy. You're not good at it. And second, like his wife, when uh, Jennifer bites his wife on the face, and like we cut to a mirror and it's like this home alone shot of her screaming in and like, what the fuck is this? Well, even that scene you're bringing up itself
1: that she's Jennifer is, is, is nude and the teenage son who is only in this one scene, the entire thing has to go. She's got a great rack. What the fuck? Nothing's funny about anything that we're witnessing at all. And I don't know if it's like this this idea of trying to lighten up the situation
0: that's where i think it's is it's where it's at odds with itself that like it shouldn't have included any of that it shouldn't included any actual breaking of tension trying to make you feel comfortable because that's not what it's trying to do at all. It's trying to make you feel as uncomfortable as possible. And I think Dario kind of whiffed it on that aspect of it of like, well, let's lighten the tone up here. You can't because that ruins the story. I mean, that's what really works for
1: Coscarelli's first episode is that there is nothing that lightens the mood. We need to take this as seriously as possible because there's there's no joke about abuse. And that that really is my issue with the end of this whole episode is I just, I, I, it seems like it was all in vain. I don't understand the point of him telling the story because so much of what was necessary in the story, I mean, we're looking at a 1973 EC Comics kind of vibe thing, and even then, there is more... Prelevant knowledge toward toward the male gaze, the rape culture, and using women as a sex item and disregarding them. You know, I, I want the perfect woman that can't speak. That comic, in just a few pages, manages to actually hold on to that, and by the end of it, you understand the whole point. But in this essence, I, I get what the point is supposed to be. I just don't fucking see it on screen. I just, I remember this one from 2005, and I remember it being... St- with nudity but now it just seems offensively misogynistic
0: well i think it's a more female empowerment story but should be told through the lens of a woman as opposed to like a somewhat misogynistic italian man (laughs) Like, I mean, that's the the guy that didn't even
1: wait for his own daughter to turn 18 to start shooting her nude. Like, I, I don't really believe he had the fucking credentials to be doing this.
0: Freeze!
1: Police! Throw down your weapon! It's too late! Go away!
0: You don't know what she is! Don't do it! You kill a psychopath. I don't care that he was trying to slice her up. It's got to warp you.
1: What's wrong with her? What happened to her? Do you
0: know where she's from?
1: Apparently, she didn't really have a home. I can tell you her name is Jennifer. So, where's she now? She's at Watkins Island. Poor
0: thing, I don't even know how much she understands. Jennifer? What are you doing here? Oh. She's got nobody to care about her. She's got no place to go. Hello? I'm going to find her a place to stay. She can stay here. Who would take her?
1: Can you blame them, Frank? Look at her. It's just one more night. That's it.
0: I think that's where the the biggest flaw in it is. I don't think Dario is particularly the correct person to direct this one. I found the was it Claudio Simonetti, did the score? Dude, that's so fucking baffling. I when I saw his name it, in the it credits, it didn't sound like him at all. No,
1: it and it just I mean I I have several synths and make very generic synth music, so I don't mean this by any means as an insult but it sounded I've said this about some of the episodes that I feel like I could have directed these and it wouldn't have made a difference from the output. I could have done the fucking score for this. It is the most lacking Simonetti score I've ever heard at all. It's just very basic like mono synth stuff. There's there's nothing really that is intriguing or uh one thing that has worked with the mastership of the relationship between Dario Argento and Goblin and Claudio Simonetti is the music has its own soul and pulse along with the film and and the music can rise in sexual tension or great ugly defeat or vibrant death. There's always an actual feeling and pulse to the music and in this instant instance it's just like a fucking studio track. There there is nothing more than some generic. Whooshing, and uh, there's a driving scene that kinda has a fun, <laughs> fun, very like dungeon synth kind of. It sounds like a video game from 1992, like a like a Sega video game kind of score.
0: Well, there's no like warmth to the movie whatsoever. There's no humanity to it, and that it, uh, that's something that's desperately desired in this. And like, I remember when I originally watched it, I was just like, well, what the fuck was wrong with her? What 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 is even going on? And yeah. kind of missing the point of it's about something more complex than that. But at the same time, Dario, there's a, a return to a little bit of his visual style. Very minimally, though, because it again, like a lot of these episodes is shot rather flat. A lot of um, daytime photography, um, a lot of attempts here and there to try to uh, like give a little bit of warmth to it but it's just it's like i guess no time i don't know i just don't know why tv the only thing i think of is scheduling and just we only have this much time and we can't set up any like really good shots it's like but learn to tell a story through like less photography like get like a you know like a nice tracking shot and don't fuck it up and don't chop it to a million pieces and you'll have less to shoot
1: yeah, I've, I've found, unfortunately, as we're going through these masters, we're, we're left with a lot of presumptive questions. Uh, in each episode, we bring up the same thing of, man, I mean, what's the budget? What was this like? And for Dario, you can at least take into consideration that he came over to the United States to shoot this. It was a U.S. production, so that's, that's a little difficult for him. But I, all these questions you ask, I just I wish I had more discourse or answers for, because these are really the ultimate questions with Masters of Horror. Per episode, what's the budget and what was the time constraint? But even so, my my whole idea that the Masters of Horror should be doing this representation of what makes them wonderful... In in a hypothetical conversation, in this essence, it really makes me believe, especially like our opinions with Dario Gento is true. The man has not made something successful since the late '80s. I always stand with opera as being his
0: last That's real cut-off piece. I mean, like, opera is the last one where I can go, like still say, well, there's a bit of a maestro there, and then there's a couple here and there that I like, and I don't dislike Jennifer. I think it's like a three star out of five like production, but It's not, like, way at the bottom, like a lot of Dario's more, like, recent output in the last 10 to 15 years. I
1: I give a credence to that, because, I mean, I I personally can say it's one of my least favorites of season one, and I don't care for the episode, but in comparison to, like, the last 20 years of Dario Argento's body of work, it is exceedingly better than many of those, and I can give a great deal of credence to what you said about um, the stylistic nature of Dario Argento appearing in this, that there are brief glimpses of that almost, um, I don't know, it's like when a dog tips its head sort of attitude. You can't tell what it's thinking or what it's doing, and there's just this this thing Dario does with the camera, and it just almost tilts like that. You get that manifestation, if you dig what I'm saying, and you can really feel this this questioning, curious nature, and it do- it is apparent in certain aspects.
0: Well, in, like, dialogue scenes, if you go back to, and I know it's not the 70s anymore, but if you go through some of the stuff in deeper some of the stuff in Suspiria and even Inferno, like, he'll let dialogue scenes play out in one and he'll have the camera follow people and he'll, like, use more wide shots. And this is kind of that generic TV thing with dialogue scenes where it's just, like, Bus shot, bus shot, back, forth, Establish like, one establishing shot. And there's no, like, movement. There's no fluidity to th- the story. It's just kind of piece by piece um, telling what the plot is. And I think, really, one of the big issues is I don't think Dario personally connects with the material, and that has a lot to do with it. He was a gun for hire, and he did the job that he was hired to do. But I just don't think his heart was a hundred percent into it. Like, and that's kind of what's wrong with all of his stuff now. Cause he just does not put any emotion into his filmmaking anymore. And that's like the most important thing with Italian filmmakers is they always made like movies with the, like id and with ego and with like just a certain amount of joie de vivre. Joie Boy, de vivre. that's fucking cringy, but we're well, using the true, goddamn though. term. I mean, but it, like it there's really is. like, uh, well, I can't remember the the exact quote, but really, like American movies are very intellectual, and Italian horror they make film is with their a balls. Lot more- with their heart and their balls and just a yeah. certain amount of, it's a it's an emotion-fueled thing. Even when like Bruno Mattai and Claudio Fragasso, there's emotion there, even though a lot of it doesn't make sense. And I don't feel that emotion in this. I, I do not remember who said that, but it was uh, that was the quote I was about to
1: drop. Italians make film with their balls, and that's always been the essence. This movie has too much balls, though, and it's balls in the wrong direction. I just don't. I I just don't understand, and I hate repeating myself, what is expressly shown to us on screen. And by no means do I doubt that Dario Argento has earned and and 100% is a master of horror, but I just find this project lacking of any actual direction. I mean, he showed up and clearly did it, but I don't feel that it has a point uh, in respect to what the story had and and I may be wrong with this belief but I thought the idea of masters of horror was a horror master directs and a master of horror literature writes and then in some cases I know for like Homecoming you've got Sam Hamm that did the teleplay Dale Bailey did the story and then Joe Dante did the film so you've got that trifecta of masters and in this essence you've got Steven Weber who I'm sorry, buddy, but you're not a master of horror. He did the teleplay, and then you've got the comic written by Bruce Jones, who was a massive Hulk writer, um, Marvel Comics writer, and then Bernie Wrightson. We shouldn't have to explain Bernie Wrightson did the art for that. So you've got kind of half of the mastership here, but I I just feel not not overtly trying to judge or piss the audience off. Dario Argento certainly is a master of horror. Jennifer, non-deserving of the title. This,
0: uh... It's just a very, very cold entry into the series, and with his second entry in season two, like you'll be surprised. Like the story for that one is like pretty fucking stupid and terrible. But there's a like, there's more Dario backed into it. the The Claudio uh, Summonetti score really fits it, and it, it's like more vibrant, and it feels more like a like a Dario film. Oh. Still not like to that 80s 70s era but like it's closer it's closer than he's gotten in years and years and years so that one like that one works pretty well but like this one at just again i just think it's a disconnect with uh material and a a lack of understanding of that material um at least perspective wise you should have brought it oh you know who could have directed that um Don Coscarelli. Oh god, I cannot remember her name. She directed Pet Cemetery. Mary Heron. Yeah, Mary Heron Mary would Heron. have been great. Absolutely. She could have directed this. You should have brought her in for this episode because I think that would have been perfect. Like a hell of a combo because if you look at something like Pet Cemetery, it's very uh, much of a emotion-based story and she brought that uh, emotion to that uh, the the grief to Pet Cemetery. Like the the feelings, the the darkness and I think she could have brought it to this but Dario is just like woefully mis There's no miscasting. I guess mishired. <laughs> is that
1: what do you Yeah, I, it? I would really say mishired. Do you ever wonder if some of these guys were just so goddamn good in the '70s and '80s because drugs were just better back then?
0: Uh, probably, uh strong possibility. I, I again, <laughs> as I, I said on the last episode, I, I think a lot of it is just. I don't even care anymore. Yeah. It's just, my heart's not in this anymore because like I still make money off of my name. I still can do this and I still will do this, but I'm not like, it's almost at that point of you can contact my agents, my management and see if I want to do a project. But I already know that, you're probably going to pull out and I'm just like, I'm not going to attempt to do anything. I'm not going to attempt to get any projects made. If you want to come to me, fine. And that is kind of the wrong attitude to have. If you don't have, if you don't have a, like a, like a stomach to do it anymore, then just don't. It's like, as some people will say, it's better to make bad art than no art at all. But, is it... <laughs> you're like if you've made is some it... of the greatest art of all time and now you feel you can't do that anymore maybe you should maybe there is something to legacy and leaving that alone okay so here's a little off subject but still on the
1: subject of masters of horror out of let's just say season one out of all of the directors who do you wish could have come in and done something because I have a couple but I'll let you answer before I finish
0: Christ Almighty, Jesus, that's—Telly uh, put me on the spot. Why don't you just go ahead so I can think?
1: <laughs> well, it, it came up when you were—the discuss. The idea popped into my head when you were discussing who else could have done this. Mary Heron is a very logical and sensible direction to go toward. And I do think this is a story that would have benefited having a, a woman directing it. But also, somebody like David Cronenberg could have really taken this and turned the subject matter very sterile and made it a, a, a looking in and outside situation, especially with the bizarre sexuality and just the the, the over horniness of David Cronenberg.
0: I see what you're saying, but that's that's like that's like fantasy like casting or hiring. Because Cronenberg was too busy like doing history of violence and still being a relevant member of the film community. <laughs> that's, well, that's
1: that's what I difference. mean kind of with the question. I mean, would you would you have loved to have a Ramiro and let, not not making an episode already made if somebody else could have joined like Ramiro or Cronenberg? I mean, who who would have yeah. been
0: good? Like I would have uh, you could even throw Dare Chuck Russell. Both of oh, them. Man. Frank Darabont truly is somebody that I think deserves. But he the title. again was making like big studio shit. He didn't have the time to do stuff like this.
1: Well, you've got a question, I guess, of the title master of horror. I mean, that would be an argument I think a lot of people could have with something like Frank Darabont. Is he a master of horror? I would say yes. I, I would, I would go with it. But some people have problems with Toby Hooper. We had on an episode, Kevin Matthews, host of Raiders of the Podcast, and that was a discussion that he and I had had back and forth. Honestly, I don't know if that appeared on the show or not. I I don't remember. It might be on the Patreon cut, but... I haven't edited it yet. (laughs) There's a strong possibility that that one's not been cut at the time of this recording. But, um, you know, we that was a question that he had brought up. Is Toby really deserving of that title? I... Say yes. yes, I yeah, one hundred percent. And it, it you don't you don't need to have it as your career. Like Don Coscarelli's career isn't specifically horror, but he has made more input to horror than anything else. But Toby Hooper only had to make one film. If George Romero yep. had spent the rest of his career only working on Mister Rogers' Neighborhood and local Pittsburgh productions, and only had made Night of the Living Dead, regardless, he would still be the same motherfucker to this day because of the. Uh, archetype the greatness the absolute genius that sprung from that moment and that time no matter what toby hooper has done for the rest of his career life in my honest opinion the texas chainsaw massacre is a a remarkable piece of art it strip away that it's a horror film it is a a
0: immersive beautiful piece of art how about this name roger watkins oh baby because he's a master of horror and he directed yeah. mostly porn. So
1: Career-wise, that's what he was known for and he even did some of the bigger budget porns. He did one with Jamie Gillis called Corruption, which, honest to God, is a fantastic film. If you take out all the butt-fucking out of that movie, it is a terrific suspenseful thriller movie. Roger Watkins had style, and he was what I like to call a film terrorist. He went out of his way to make you disruptively uncomfortable, and there is no doubt about House on Dead End Street and its its mark that it left on the minds of the audience that went on to make some of the most disturbing stuff on the planet. People like Fred Vogel and beyond. I mean, it was a, a scene-changing piece of punk iconic... I mean, I God, it's more than just punk rock. It's more than just cinema transgressive. I would, I mean... Was I? I'm not sure if Roger. I think he died a little after, maybe 2006, 2007. But I don't know if if him and Mick Garris would ever have been in the same. <laughs> I don't know if he's the type of guy to invite Bugs. to dinner. <laughs> Remarkable person, though. I mean, uh, I I fantasize about stuff like that. Of. What if Roger Watkins could have done this, 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 and this? And there are even people of of question, like uh, Jim Van Beber. man. You might not like what he says these days and how he acts as a, person. as a person. Yeah, but you can't take away Deadbeat at Dawn. And even more than that, I mean, Chaz championed that movie. Joe Bob has championed that movie. But Charlie's movie, the Manson family film, that is to me the 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 mark of genius. That movie is exceptional. It's so disturbing. It's story of how it was made, sure, is really interesting, but goddamn if that isn't one of the most fucked up films I've ever seen. And that's just kind of moving from Roger Watkins to somebody that is equally powerful with what they choose to show to the audience. I mentioned Fred Vogel. I, I I don't know if I'd call him a master of horror, but I think he's on that cusp. I think definitely somebody like him he, again, changed the scene. The early 2000s, things like August Underground were just, you had the Blair Witch Project and then August Underground, a movie that got the entire cast and crew arrested going into another country and investigated for murder.
0: Well, we could always get the paranormal activity guy. He could be a master. <laughs> you got Diodato. That would have been beautiful.
1: Diodato coming over and shooting. At David a...
0: Gordon Green. Oof. What was he doing in 2005?
1: Well, it's it's a very interesting title and procurement of that title i guess truly comes down to history and the infamy but i mean again as i had said with toby hooper one thing could really rule it all and like diodato you've got cannibal holocaust umberto Lindsay, you've got ferox both of these films will be immortal and outlive them their names will always survive and dario argento there's no doubt about it. I mean, the guy's the master. Suspiria, Profundo Rosso, all of these things will outlive him and, and, and even his name, Bird with the Crystal Plumage, is one of my, my favorites. I mean, top ten favorite movies probably. Bird with the Crystal Plumage is going to show up around seven, maybe eight. I adore the film, but this is the least masterful work. Uh, not in total of the entirety of the series, but out of Dario Argento, because this sure as shit ain't the worst one. I'll take this over dance of the dead any day i'm sorry toby i'm so fucking sorry but it's so fucking bad dude
0: well at least it like as i was saying on the first episode there's a certain amount of being able to engage the audience this one at least for the most part it loses it here and there but it's engaging to the audience dance of the dead is not it it loses the audience about 10 minutes in and a lot of these episodes really do lose it um because uh, most like a good portion of them are either the director failed or the writer failed. It was either a bad story to begin with, or the director just didn't have the chops or didn't put the care into it to make it an interesting story. So like the bedrock is what is kind of the biggest problem with masters of horror is if you're not in like a hundred percent behind this, like, you know, the, the, the writing you've been given then like don't do it or rewrite it or blah 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 like there's that's kind of the thing because this show is more about putting out product than it was making art but i think you needed to kind of do a little bit of both but you can't really argue with dudes who probably had like what was the last movie landis had made before he got involved in masters and whore the stupids
1: i don't feel necessarily any of the stories are bad But some of them are bad for the idea of filmmaking. Some of the stories work and are justified in the way they're told. Um, Specifically what I'll reference because this episode has already come out is Dreams in the Witch House. That it's a terrific story. The 1933 story written by H.P. Lovecraft taking place when it takes place and the basis of how it was written. It's effective. It's a a great mythos for H.P. Lovecraft. It involves things like Azathoth and all his crazy literature. But the version that Stuart Gordon told was just lackluster, unpolished, and very unfinished. And, And I think it's a problematic thing with this whole series. I don't know if the masters got to pick what they picked. But Stuart Gordon being pigeonholed just to do Lovecraft. Well, do it again. He did Lovecraft so well. No, let that man cook. Let him do some shit like robot jocks. Let him do something. <laughs> man, you know, he can do some other shit. I've seen some other shit out of Stuart Gordon, King of the Ants. It's fucking bizarre. But holy shit, you pigeonhole well, I mean, these that, people.
0: figure with Dennis uh, Paoli and Stuart Gordon writing the script, it would come out a little bit better than it did, and it just... That like feels labored, and I think a big portion of it is the acting. I think I would like it better if it was something like Jeffrey Combs in it, but that Ezra, whatever his name was, I can't remember. He was in that and uh, Dagon. Like, yep. There's something about his acting that is just supremely annoying. It's
1: very, and and I'm sure some of our audience will understand this completely. You will 100%. That guy is a, a 2000 Sci-Fi Channel actor. When they were called the Sci-Fi Channel, before it was Sci-Fi or whatever it is now, they, <laughs> He has that, like, Stargate SG-1. Not even that. He's got a Stargate well, Atlantis uh, I think deal. he's
0: from Australia or New Zealand, one of the two. So, like, he's faking an accent the entire time as well.
1: That one was... Uh... A great episode because we had an amazing guest and I, I love Kevin I love his program and if you're listening to this I know I've told you before but hey Raiders of the podcast not Raiders of the Lost podcast check him out you've got daily movie reviews from Kevin a weekly video and then a weekly podcast how can you beat it it's the most immersive film experience you can have and we tried so hard on that episode as you and I have on many others to not shit talk because by no means, it's Stuart Gordon. Why would you ever want to do that? It's Dario Argento in this case. Why would you ever want to do that? But sometimes you you really have to accept the fact that the gods have some problems, that there isn't absolute
0: perfection. It's just called being, like, you know, honest. <laughs> That's literally it. Just honest about the what you've been given. Like, I don't like this as much as the other things you've made. Sorry, I think it has some fundamental flaws. And this has fundamental flaws, just as a lot of the other episodes do. Unless it's the Mikkei episode. Then it has no fundamental flaws.
1: So you said this is about a three and a half stars for you. I give it two stars, but it's not. No, it's
0: a three. Just three. the three. So I'm only one star. Don't give behind. it that extra half, my friend. There's there's
1: no hate with my rating. I just I, I feel I'm sticking with my guns, no matter what our conversation has been. I just don't see Argento's point with what story he was trying to tell. It's evident and it's there when you look at it. I just think he was a very inappropriate director to do it, and it comes off M- much more. To I mean, the last scene of this came off to well, fucking women. They're going to ruin your life. It just seemed like some like 1940s carny, like, yeah, girls are so awful. And it ends, and it's... <laughs> I it's not good. It's just not so good. But in a career of 30 years or so making really bad movies, which Argento admittedly has done, it's not as bad as the other ones. So I will goddamn take it over the card player any day. It's better than and the card player
0: damn day over that.
1: Yeah, that's my ending review. It is better than the card player. It's better than Do You Like Hitchcock and it is better than Giallo. Uh, it, yeah.
0: That's it. It's better than The Dark Glasses. Oh, fucking Dark Glasses.
1: I'm a <laughs> smelly man, I kill a woman. Uh same ending. Yep, that's literally the same fucking ending. Dario Argento. Was he was he a Five Trick Pony? I don't know. So that brings us to the end of this installment of Death by DVD Does Masters of Horror Season 1. You've got a real treat on the next episode. It's sweet! Mick Garris' Chocolate Episode 5. That's it. The ashtray is full and the bottle is empty. I'm Linnea. And I like Death by DVD. It's a statement. My DVD is recorded in front of a dead studio
0: audience. Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced.
1: By DVD is broadcast from on top of the Blue Crystal Sunshine Mountain in any town USA with transmitters on top of the Empire State Building. The management and the staff wish you a pleasant good night and good morning.